All right, folks. My name is Mark Hummel, and I'm here with uh, a, a legend in the music business. He is one of the originators of the uh, the, the group of of uh, white boys in the Chicago that 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 picked up on black blues music and brought it to the mainstream of America, including people like Mike Bloomfield, his dear friend, and uh, Nick Gravenitis, and Paul Butterfield, Elvin Bishop, and Charlie Musselwhite, and the whole game. So this is Barry Goldberg here, and uh, we're going to just talk about his early days in Chicago, and then a lot of the stuff he's done since uh, he moved out to the West Coast. What year did you move out here? 1974. 74, but you were coming to the Bay when you had the electric flag, weren't you? Right, that's where we started, at, in uh, Mill Valley. Right, you started, well, I think that was earlier than that. Wasn't that 67? 67 when I first came to When you California. first came out, okay. Then I went yeah. back to New York. And I okay, I see. I wasn't sure about that. Well, I want to just talk a little about your beginnings because... Uh, I really, I'm not, I'm not real aware of your beginnings in Chicago. When did you meet, like Bloomfield and Steve Miller and those guys? Well, Michael and I met actually in high school. Oh, really? Michael was going to Nurture Suburban High School, and uh, we hooked up because we both had teenage bands. Right. And we would compete for Sweet Sixteen parties and ah, okay. all of that, and. Uh, that's where we first, and then we, we met again when we were both asked to leave our prospective high schools and wound up at Central YMCA in downtown Chicago. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So how old were you both then? Do you remember? Uh, 17. 17. Now, were you guys born the same year? Uh, Michael was a little younger than the Okay. A year younger. Yeah. And you guys were pretty good friends from yeah, what we I hung seen. out. We, yeah. we were very close. Right. We always roomed together when we went on the road mm -hmm. later on. Right. Right. So, uh, uh, and the other guy I wanted to mention was, I listened to a Steve Miller interview that talked about you a lot in it. And, and he said you guys had a band together. And did you play at some mob club in Chicago? Uh, we played, there was a lot of mob clubs. But there was one that was right next to Big John's. It was Big John's. No, he talked about a mob club that was right next door. That's where he played, I guess. And yeah, but he said you guys got some kind of gig. In the interview, he says that you guys were playing at Big John's and these guys hired you, this mafia guy hired you. And you were supposed to kind of, it was sort of like, but they didn't really want you to make any money. And oh, then just show up. You just showed up, and he said the place got so full that they ended up firing you after a month. Something like that. You remember I that? I don't remember that. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he's, he also said that you guys played on Hullabaloo together? Is that we right? We played on Hullabaloo together. We had a record that we recorded. And uh, I, I first met Steve after the, when I came back from the Newport Folk Festival in 65. Okay. And he was playing the scorefront in Old Town. And I, I walked by and I heard this unbelievable guitar player. It sounded just like Tebow Walker. Right, right. And the shuffles, you know, Texas shuffles. And yeah. Coming out of the, the club. So I knew at that time that the Butterfield band was leaving Big John's to go to New York. Right. And uh, I had briefly played with the Butterfield band 
And that's a whole other story of how we got to Newport and right. wrapped up Bob Dylan. And well, yeah, and that's something I wanted to ask you about as well. So let's, so uh, with, with Steve, how long did you guys have a band together? For about a year. About a year, okay. And All we right. played Big John's right after the Butterfield band. Right, you guys and, took the place. And, and uh, it was magic from the very beginning with Steve and I. Right. That's what he said. He had very high praise for you. He said, uh, one of the things he said in this interview is he said, Barry could just, like, if I was writing a song, he found the perfect musical thing to, to make it work. It was a great combination. Yeah, that's what he said. He, he made a big point of that. Yeah. And the other, you know, the other thing is I, I really wasn't aware of what an incredible writer you were. That, I wrote some good yeah, songs. Yeah, I know. You wrote the one for uh, for uh, Gladys Knight. Yeah. Uh, what was it? Uh, I've got to use my imagination. I've got to use my imagination. And then and then I didn't realize you wrote It's Not the Spotlight, the Bobby Blinder. Oh, Bobby Blinder and Rod Stewart. And Rod Stewart. Wow. That is heavy duty, man. So did you and Steve write together at all? Uh, we, we wrote part of the album together. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then let me hear about the Butterfield story because that sounds really interesting. Because I knew, I knew Al Cooper when you just told me about Al Cooper playing bass because uh, Jerome Arnold, the bass player, Billy Boy's brother, couldn't remember the bass lines. It was it was different. It wasn't a blues song, right? And it was C minor, D minor, E minor, right. F, G, and it was too much for him too to much. really. And, yeah. uh, so Al actually was, uh, anyway, the story goes like, I went to, I came to Newport thinking I was going to play with the Butterfield Band. Oh, okay. But when we got there, Paul's producer, Paul Rothschild, right. said, I don't hear keyboards with the band. So I was stranded there without a gig. Oh my God. And everyone would be gigging and playing and having a great time and I, I you know, uh, it was just a beautiful place and I knew, you know, it was too beautiful to be true. So something <laughs> was better going to happen. I always think that that's the blues, and, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. This Amen. is too good to be, it can't be yeah. happening to me. That's you know, right. That <laughs> so uh, sure enough, there I was standing and uh, we all were staying in these big houses, these right. mansions that the members donated for the musicians on cots, like right. stuff on cots. And the guy sleeping next to me was this wonderful black guy, uh, and he never left his cot. He never left, he had everything he needed on the cot. He had his pen knife, his wallet, and anything, his little transistor radio that meant it stayed on the cot with him. Right. And I said, why did you go out, man? It's such a beautiful, and he would always say, no need to. Wow. And the guy's name was Sunhouse. Oh, really? And we had a, 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 a minor transition. That's wild. What a story, man. So anyway, uh, there was a party that night at one of the mansions that Michael had played with Bob a few months before right. on, on the, the record. record. Yeah. Uh, and Bob said, you know, I don't know. I'm going electric tonight. You know, and I don't know. My band's going to show up, but I love to use some of the Butterfield band, you mm -hmm. know, with Sam Lay on drums, right. Jerome on bass, right. and, uh, and Michael. Uh, do you 
I don't know if my keyboard player is coming, you know, so right. Michael introduced me to Bob. Said, this is my buddy Barry, and he's really a great keyboard player, and he'd love to do the gig. And Bob said, would you play with me tonight? Mm -hmm. So it went from nothing to playing with Bob Dylan. And of course, <laughs> I knew who he was. And, yeah, yeah. You know, he wasn't quite that famous yet in, in, in the folk rock. Yeah. Which he was about to create. Right, exactly. So there were, uh, Al Cooper showed up. Huh. So there were two keyboards. And Al played uh, piano or organ on Maggie's Farm. Okay. Uh, I played one of the two, I don't really remember, but I remember playing the organ on Like a Rolling yeah, Stone. Right. And Al was on bass. Right. Thank God, because it sounded pretty good. It didn't need to change. And Jerome couldn't remember the Jerome couldn't remember right, the, right. the chords. Yeah. yeah. So uh, luckily, I heard the demo that Michael brought back, and it wasn't really. It was just the first cut of Like a Rolling Stone. Wow. And I started playing along with it. I remembered it. Man. And uh, we had. I was part of that big controversial moment in rock and roll when Bob went electric and we were like on a mission and Bob was our leader. Right. And it was like a gang kind of thing. We right. From Chicago and he was from Minnesota, the Midwest guys. Right. And uh, I remember half the audience really enjoying it and the other half felt really... Uh, betrayed? Betrayed. Yeah. And this was sort of the end of an era for them. They right. sensed it. Right. And uh, now, did you see the scuffle and all that that they oh, talked yeah, about between the managers? Between yeah, between Grossman and uh, Alan, Lomax. Alan Lomax. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it were there actually punches thrown? When they were rolling around, I heard they were rolling around the dirt. Like two, two old guys, but they were right. Around, uh, and uh, Pete, Pete, uh, Pete Seeger wasn't too happy. Either. I heard something about him. Trying to smash well, the uh, was the, trying to the power cord. Right, trying to smash. The, yeah. And Peter Yarrow was in, he was acting very pompous and. Well, I heard he was behind you guys. Yeah. Yeah, that he was kind of on your side. And, you yeah. Know, and it was it was a shock to everyone. It must have been. But it was a wonderful shock that, that it was heard all around the world. Sure so, was. Yeah. So that was it. Very historic. I know. Uh, uh, when I interviewed Nick Gravenitis, he said that he gave Bob a ride from the hotel to the, uh, or, or the wherever you guys were staying, to the uh, fairgrounds. And he said that, uh, that you know, Bob didn't say a word to him. Didn't say a word the whole time. And so he asked Bloomfield afterwards, he goes, he goes, so what was on his mind? He goes, he just told me, I'm gonna shove it down their throats. Ooh, well, that was sort of the nature of, yeah. of the band, you know. Right. That we were going to prove, and we were there in the name of rock and roll. Right. right. And it just, it, to me, I felt, I felt really good and honored by it, and I was touched by the magic, by Bob's sure. magic. yeah. And it, it still is with me today, like, whenever you play with someone on, in that magnitude, and that, right. that heavy... It rubs off on you. Right. You can't help it. Now, did you guys rehearse at all? We had a, a brief sound check. Hmm. Okay. Was it in the afternoon? In the afternoon, mm -hmm. and Peter was running around. I turned down, turned down. <laughs> and the more he said turned down, Michael turned up. 
I heard Bloomfield went kind of crazy on that. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't think he hadn't slept in four days, and he, right, he didn't right. want to hear that shit. He yeah, was out of yeah, yeah. He had a problem sleeping, didn't he? Oh yeah. Yeah, bad insomnia. Yeah, you know, I remember one time later we were rooming together at the Albert Hotel, which was a real funky hotel in, in New York. York. Yeah. That uh, I, I I wandered off, and I could we took psychedelics and said, Michael. Just stayed in his bed, like, because he couldn't sleep. Like, you mm -hmm. know, he'd been up for a few days. Like, so I had gone to a loving in Central Park, right? Uh -huh. and I was always trying to get, you know, whatever, a new, a new high or something. <laughs> and so uh, uh, I heard this song called Strawberry Fields Forever. Wow. You know, and I came running home back to the Albert. I opened the door, the light was just coming through the day. was I said, Michael, I just found something out. No need to get hung about, man. You know, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> and he threw a book at me. Like, threw a book at threw you. Threw a book at me. Get the fuck out of here. Man. That's good. You're disturbing my insomnia. Yeah. <laughs> he was in no mood for strawberry fields. No, I bet he wasn't at that point. No, <laughs> I wouldn't think so. So, uh, so with the Butterfield Band, uh, you said at one point you thought you were going to end up in that band? I'm sorry. With the Butterfield band, did you think at one point you were going to be in that band? Yeah, Paul had asked me, you know, because I was, before that I was in the Twist band. Right, I wrote, right. You know, Michael and Paul would come down to Rush Street from Old Town right. and sit in with us. Right. So Paul had said, you know, come play with us. But... Paul Warshall, the producer, put an end to that. Like, now, why was that? What was know. that? We just didn't hear it at the time. Huh. And then they ended up adding Naftal. Naftal. Yeah. yeah. So, whatever, whatever it was, I got, I got to play with Steve. Right. So that was okay with me. And yeah. Doing a lot of session work in New York. And, you know, that's, uh, that's how I got on Double with a Blue Dress, that record. Oh, that, that, was, that was during the time with Steve? That was after Steve. Really? Yeah. Wow. How did that happen? It was 66. And, uh, was it recorded in New York? Recorded in New York. And my old friend, the bass player from the Twist Band, Carmine Royale, mm -hmm. was playing with the wheels, Detroit Wheels, and Mitch Ryder. And Bob Crew needed a keyboard player. He used two keyboard players, organ and piano. Mm -hmm. So they called me up, and uh, I came down to do... All the sessions, Sock It To Me, and Double With A Blue Dress. And you played on that entire record? Yeah. Wow. And were you playing keys or Piano. Organ? Piano, okay. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. That was huge. That was great. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that was after Steve. And, and, and I guess Steve ended up going to California. What did you do? Uh, I just actually went back to New York, uh -huh. did some session work, and uh, that's when Michael came back from the West Coast to, to talk to me about forming another band. Okay, so that's when you cooked up the electric flag. Right. He Interesting. Said, I, I have a, an idea, a concept of all American music, like the blues, rock and roll, and, and you can handle like... The Motown, soul music, soul, yeah, soul yeah. stuff, and yeah. the R and B stuff, and I'll take care of the other. And we uh, 
we asked Harvey Brooks to join us on bass, right. and he was a, an elite session player. Yeah, he sure was. New York. Yeah. So we never thought we could get him, but we got him. Wow. And then uh, Mitch was playing at a, a rock and roll show, and I asked Michael to come down to check it out, and on the bill was Wilson Pickett. Oh, I've heard this, yeah. And yeah. we were going to get Billy Monday to play drums from the Mothers of Invention. Really? And, you know, we had an idea of, of an all blue-eyed soul band, sort of. You huh. know, we could do it, we don't need any help. But yeah. as soon as we heard Buddy, that concept went out the window. Yeah. <laughs> the whole theater was moving yeah. from the yeah. beat. Wow. And the way we, we caressed him, like, to do the, the Electric Fred song, band was uh, we took him back to our apartment at the Albert Hotel with three boxes of Oreo cookies <laughs> and we laid them out on the bed right and, and each few minutes we would drop another cookie in his mouth <laughs> buddy you, you could be the mayor of San Francisco you could run the town all the beautiful little flower girls are waiting for you. Oh, you know, my God. You made it sound so appealing. Well, yeah, you couldn't help it. He couldn't himself. turn it down. Yeah. So he quit Pickett, and Pickett was after us. Was he? For a year. Really? You know, trying to do us in. He was just stealing his drummer. Whoa. You were, you were thinking you were going to be a part of that, and then you ended up working with Steve, and then you ended up working with um, uh, Mitch Ryder. And now, did they ever ask you to join that band? No, I think I was 26 at that time, or a little uh, younger, and I was too old for them. <laughs> That's great. I don't think they consider it now, either. That's you know? great. Okay. But, so, oh, and we were talking about uh, how how you got Buddy Miles to join uh, the Electric Flag. Right, now, so was, was, was Nick in the mix by then? Nick was already in San Francisco looking for places for us to stay. That's what he told me. And, yeah. And he setting it up because Nick was firmly in Mill Valley in San Francisco. Yeah. So Michael came to me and uh, I was doing a lot of session work in New York with John Hammond and other people. Right. And, and uh, he proposed this, this concept that he had of all American music, like putting it all together so now, anyway, that sounded great to me because I was really into R&B and mm -hmm. other forms of, of music, of course, the blues. Right. So uh, we said, well, now we got a drummer. Everybody agreed to be in the band. Right. So we had the rhythm section and we got the horn player from the Twist band I was in, okay, Peter Straza, right, and Margaret Doubleday, who was a trumpet player and a jazz trumpet player, right. So that was the horn section, like and Herbie Rich, right. So you had three horns, and three horns, mm -hmm. and uh, where are we going to do this band? And Michael said San Francisco, because it's the new place for music, right. And that's where everybody's, you know, the woodshed, right. And Albert Grossman, our manager, has a gig for us. Our first gig was playing the Monterey Pop Festival. Wow. So there was a lot of pressure yeah, I bet. You know, to get ready for that, a new band. Right. And uh, 
you know, at that time, some of the some of the band guys were into heavy drugs. Right. You know, including myself. Yeah. Now and we're both you and we're both you and uh, Mike in heavy drugs at that point. At that point, Michael not so much, but a okay. little bit. Yeah. And I was getting worse and worse, you know. And uh, uh, Marcus was already there, you know, yeah. jazz trumpet player. Right. <laughs> yeah. So half the band was. You know, on that, the other one was on psychedelics. <laughs> so the two shall never meet, you know. Jeez, it's really a different, yeah. different trip altogether. Totally. You know? But the pressure didn't help either. Right. The record company pressure and management. Yeah, management and Michael was getting more irritable. Yeah. You know, because of his insomnia, because it was Michael Bloomfield's electric flag. Right. I'm sure it was... You know, he would have been better off with just the electric flag. He, he right. didn't like the spotlight. Yeah. He would, if it was up to him, he'd sit in his room all day and all night watching Johnny Carson. You know, <laughs> that was his favorite thing that yeah. to do. Yeah. Like, That's what know. I've heard, yeah. So anyway, we we really rehearsed our arrangements. We had a really, really complicated arrangements for some of the songs, even though it was R&B. Right. It, it, it's so difficult, you know, the parts, the horn parts, the, mm -hmm. the keyboards, the, the guitar, and, and focusing on Michael's soloing. Mm -hmm. And we had two great singers in the band, Nick Grabernitis right. and right. Buddy Miles. Right. Did so, you already know that Buddy could sing when you saw him with Wilson? No. Wow. So yeah, that was kind of a, just a stroke of luck. Yeah. yeah. And Buddy huh. was a great singer. I know. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. And at that time, really easy to get along with. Right. But I know it, 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 later on, him and Bloomfield, it sort of became a real kind of wrestling sort of match. Like the guy that created the monster. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love but, the stories about, about Bloomfield and how, you know, when, when, when uh, uh, Buddy would take over the shows, he just didn't want to have any part of it. No. Yeah, he was ready to walk off or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It was... Uh, if you, you know, it was okay because he was good at it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. And anything that the crowd loved, to, right. me, to me, it was good. You right, know? right. So it was just an extra bonus having that. And then you can Michael just was there no matter what. You right, know? right. So you must have had a lot to do with the arrangements and stuff like that, along with Bloomfield and songwriting. And yeah, the songwriting and arrangements. And, yeah, and, uh, I mean, we did before that. We did a warm-up uh, album called "The Trip." Oh, right, in L.A. down in here. LA, yeah, with Jack Nicholson was the director, right. and Peter Fonda and Dennis Right. And yeah, uh, Raffleson wasn't Bob Raffleson. Yeah, Bob Raffleson. Did he have something to do with that? Yeah. And that was interesting because we we had full reign to do whatever we wanted. Right. Create whatever kind of. And they had you in some great home in the hills here or something? Or? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. In the Mill Valley. And, well, no, I'm talking about when you did the trip album, you were like oh, no, staying. We, yeah, we stayed at uh, Bella Lugosi's old man. Right, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, how wild. Frank Lloyd Wright. You know, That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I remember one, one night I was sleeping and, I, and my room was the whole basement. Right. I got the whole eerie basement yeah. and secret tunnels and 
you know, after the, after rehearsals, I just wanted to fall out. I, right. You know, I didn't explore or go around and find any secret passageways. Right. You know, where Bella might come out or something. <laughs> you know. So one night I was sleeping, and I heard this voice, "Darling, how are you?" And I looked up, <laughs> and it was Viva Superstar. It was who? V was it Viva? Nico. Nico? Nico. From yeah, the, the, big, the Big Blonde from Andy Warhol. Oh, okay. From the Velvet Underground. Wow. It's like six, six foot three blonde. Right, girl. and she was talking to you at Leading night? over my bed. Oh, like, my God. I said, you know. Scared the hell out of you, yeah. I'm sleepy, please. <laughs> That's great. So I heard that went really well. I heard the trip soundtrack really yeah, came that, out that well. That was really great. It was, yeah, I found yeah. I found music and uh, uh, real modern. And I remember Nick wrote, wrote a song called "Psyche Soap." Like, hmm. you know, that was one of the, yeah. I'm a huge fan of his songwriting as well. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, the other thing I wanted to get into is some of these questions that Charlie had because those sounded like really good uh, stories from you. Is uh, is is the Charlie Muswhite and you recorded on the very first Vanguard album yes. that Charlie did? South Side, uh, what is it? Charlie Charlie Muswhite South Side Blues Band or something? I think it was called Stand Back. Stand Back, Stand Back. Charlie Muswhite's. Southside Blues Band. And that was you and Harvey, Fred Bilo, and Bob Anderson, right? Little Bob Anderson. Right. And right. Fred Stowe is, is the best drummer I've ever played with. Fred Bilo. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. And, and it just sailed through. Uh, Charlie was reluctant to do the record because of Vanguard, you know, burning people and stuff like that. And, he didn't care much for the for the opportunity. I had to go get him. Did you? From his house, like, and bring him down to the studio. I said, "Come on, man, I can't." He hurt. said he was sleeping or something. Well, he just wanted to be, you know. I don't want to deal with this, you know. Yeah. Deal with yeah. But yeah. I said it might be something. You know, you never yeah. know. You, you got to take chances. Like, even though it doesn't feel right. He said, "Well, you know, Sam and Ann Travers are going to produce it." And, I don't, they're only going to give us a short period of time. And he said, well, well, how short, a week? <laughs> and he said, no, three hours. <laughs> so we had three you hours. You know, I'm not real happy with that. No. <laughs> that doesn't sound good to me, Charlie. So. And yeah. Charlie was just the most sweetest, wonderful guy, and he yeah. still is. Yeah, you know, he is. He's on, a great on, person. On the face of the earth. I agree. And a really down-home... But very... So, very smart, Super sharp guy. Super sharp, yes. super smart. Yeah. And, and down-home harp player. Uh, yeah. You know, Brotherfield was more sophisticated in his playing. Right. But and Charlie was more down-home, for sure. Charlie was really more down-home. Yeah, he sure was. Which is probably where, where I... I prefer, like, you know. Right. Well, it's it's interesting because, I mean, Charlie, you know, was so tight with, uh, like, Big Joe Williams. You oh, know, they were both yeah. staying in, in the Delmark basement. Yeah, Charlie was the yeah. same, man. He yeah, was, yeah. You know, he was just, just laid back. A yeah. real laid back blues guy. Right, right. I mean, the real deal. Yeah, 
I think Butterfield had a much more kind of ambitious kind of attitude. Exactly. You know, Charlie wasn't really bent on no. fame, I don't think. Yeah. So, uh, so when you did that session, how did you guys? Did you both know Harvey? Is that was he your friend, Charlie's Harvey friend? Harvey and I played together at, okay. at Southside Chicago. Right. And we had a kid together. Mm-hmm. You know, at a, at a Bob one one uh, club called mm-hmm. the Action to Go Go. Okay. On the South Side. Yeah. And. Uh, that, that was a great kid, Brian. I, I would do my organ instrumentals, like some Jimmy Smith stuff. Right. And and, and it was just great. And, and Harvey uh, was 16 years old at the time. Wow. And he, he would also play in a club called Twist City with Buddy Guy. Right, right. And and I think uh, the other guy that played with, with Buddy was uh, Miller. He played with Buddy oh, too yeah. during that. I think at the same club. Yeah, yeah. He might have taken the gig after Harvey or something. So uh, the interesting thing is Harvey, really, I thought lent a psychedelicized kind of edge to that album. He had his style is like no one else. Right. And if you don't get him, you just don't get him. Right. But he's so far out and he's so heavy. And complex, and and, yeah. and and what he does, it's like a guitar player from another planet. Yeah, yeah. And I would watch him. You know, I was completely mesmerized by his playing. Yeah. Because I w- I, I would go that deep, like kind I, of ahead I, of its time. I, I was into yourself, yeah. Latif, and Coltrane, and Charlie Mingus, right? And all these far out people. So, what he was doing was no one else was doing what he was even at that time. Yeah. And he would start taking a troll, and I would look look over at him, and I'd see antennas coming out of his head. <laughs> I, as, as an alien, he was an alien. Yeah. Like he wasn't on this planet. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I think one of his records were, was called Planetary Warrior or something. Right, like, right. I mean, he wasn't, man. He was like so far out. Yeah. And even even Hendrick was an off of, of really oh yeah wow well you know it's funny talking to Fido yesterday he was talking about you know how in a lot of ways Henry Vestine and and uh, Harvey were almost kind of like the same coming from the same place in a lot of ways it was a good combination well I'm just saying that that you know Vestine ended up getting falling out with Larry Taylor, and, and that's how Harvey got the gig. And in a lot of ways, that was the perfect guy for for that band it's because they were very similar. That's true. And the other guy that, that Harvey, I didn't know that uh, Henry played with that, what is his name, Albert Ayers? Or the jazz guy that was real far out from Chicago? Not yeah, there was a guy. He was playing me these records of Harvey. Really? Harvey was with with Har- I mean, uh, Henry was with Frank Zappa. Wow! Before he was Henry with Can He. So you know, I can really see all these similarities between yeah. Harvey and Henry. Amazing. Yeah. So so the, the bottom line is that that you guys had this album out, and from what I gather, when that album came out, it was kind of really something that was right on the edge of where Butterfield was and and kind of piqued a lot of interest on the West Coast in the same way. It was uh, 
critically well received by John B. and all, you know, right. Pete Welding and all the great critics. And I, I, it was so natural yeah. and easy, the recordings, mm -hmm. and laid back, like, and, and came out of the record. And uh, especially, come see me, baby, in the morning, baby, come right, see right, me early right. in the morning. Early in the morning, yeah. Baby, about to yeah. break a day, man. You ought to saw the pillow where my baby used to lay. Right, right. And, and we, 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 man, I mean, I love that record. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and a classic. I, I guess the Stones were looking, listening to that record, too, and they chose Harvey to play on a couple of songs. Interesting. So that's how they heard about it. Yeah. Wow. Okay, here's another thing is Charlie mentioned the thing about about having to record it in three hours yes. and how uh, it was so that Sam Charters wouldn't have to pay you guys double time? Double scale. That, double that, scale. That, that was the nature of the, of the music business. Then. Right. So it was like you guys had three hours to record this right. album. Right. People take six months to record right. an album, you know, meticulously. And they do things and we just went in there and played. Yeah. And it, boom, you had an album. There was magic. Right. And I would say it had a lot to do with, with little Bob Anderson and Fred Bilo. Well, hell yeah. But they set the groundwork. And, oh, yeah. And it was just so, the groove never faltered. Right, right. It was just. Yeah, those guys were just magical, man. Yeah, magical. Yeah, they really were. Yeah. And, uh, and so, did Charlie come out to the West Coast after you were already? Playing in the flag? I, I don't remember how that that happened, but I guess we all found our, our homes you guys the, all on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. In San Francisco and around the area. Right. And Nick, you know, he settled. And yeah. Sebastopol. Right, yeah. He's an Occidental. Occidental. Yeah, right. Occidentally. And to me, it was like, the boondocks, you know, I, I was still yeah. a bit a city boy, you yeah. know. Yeah. So how could these guys live so remote? Yeah, same yeah. with Elvin too. Elvin's in Lagunitas way out there. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. really you know, uh, uh, it's rural. Yeah, very rural. Very rural, and uh, but it's a magical place though. It to is me, oh, to me, to so me, beautiful. Yeah, Marin County, uh, West Marin in particular, is just magical. It's, it's incredible. Such like, a great place. Michael's to... wife Susan. Right. Who's a really dear, still a dear friend, one of our best friends. Mm -hmm. take it. She's a nature woman. Yeah. She teaches that in school and everything. Yeah. She would take Gail and I on these magical adventures to. That's wonderful. To Miles Bay and all yeah. that beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful you know, out there. And, and see the, the elk. There's elk right. somewhere around. Yeah. And, and it's just great. But for me, you know, I, I really miss. I really miss that, but I have to be near a, del a delicatessen. You know? <laughs> it's the New Yorker in you. It's the, it's the <laughs> Chicago, New York. Chicago, New York. But yeah. I have to really be. That's my soul food. Right. You know. I can understand that. Yeah. Well, um, uh, you've had so many successes since then. I mean, you know, besides the Electric Flag. I mean, you, I, I know recently you had that group with Stephen Stills and. Uh, was it Kenny Wayne Shepherd? Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Yeah. Called the rides. We did two CDs together. And that did really well, didn't it? Did it did really, really well. And uh, I experienced the magic that I hadn't experienced since the '60s. Wow. Of being, you know, doing things 
first class, like, you know, mm -hmm. because of Stephen. Right. He's a rock and roll star. Right. And wherever he went, it was red carpet. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And the venues were so, I, I never had a, a, a keyboard tech before. Right. <laughs> I just would show up and there would be my keyboards and if it right. was too blue you put get another organ came immediately in yeah. five minutes like you know that's awesome and the places where we stayed and the venues where we played in right you know, I was used to making 152 bills a night right you know yeah that's kind of the blues man's way in that's what I was doing and yeah. then all of a sudden for two or three years I had this this wonderful comfortable taste yeah. of what it was like to be on another level. Yeah, that's great. You know, and, and I really miss that now. I <laughs> now, did you guys fly into all the gigs? Did yeah. you do that kind of thing where we you satellite? We had a bus. You had a bus, okay. There were three buses. All right, wow. One for each of us. Yeah, incredible. And Gail, who travels with me and, yeah. and is my partner, Gail Goldberg, my wife, and thank you, Gail, for putting this together. Of course. Yeah. And anyway, we had uh, a, a little suite in the back of the bus. That's wonderful. Like a big bedroom and a shower. Right, you right. Know, and everything. They called it the King David suite. That's wonderful. And we, we had to travel with the crew a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. But Kenny get, never got off the bus. He, li he lives on a bus like yeah. Willie Nelson. Wow. And he's another phenomenal guitar player. Yeah, yeah. My God, he blew my mind so much. Yeah. You know? and so I, now, how did you? How did you end up choosing those musicians? <clears throat> what was what was the reasoning? Well, uh, I, I play poker a lot of poker. Uh -huh. So Elliot Roberts, who was a manager, oh yeah, yeah, I know who he is. Managed yeah. everybody there is. To right. Dylan, Neil Young. The Eagles. Yeah. Neil Young. Right. Yeah. Uh, was playing poker, and he saw. On my wall, Super Session album, right, which I played on. That's right, and uh, that's right because that's Bloomfield, Stephen Stills, and you, and, and Cooper, and Cooper, and, and Santana's on it, right? And, yeah, and yeah. I and I didn't get Fun Bill, but I, I'm on. You're on the record. Yeah, I'm on the record. Yeah. <clears throat> so Elliot said, you know, Stephen's been after me. He wanted to put together a blues band. Wow. He wants to go out and play funky music. Hmm. So Elliot put Stephen and I together to write, and we said, now, "Who are we going to? We want a young guitar player mm -hmm. to play along with Stephen, you know, so they can do duets together." Right. Uh, so I, I had heard and really loved Kenny Wayne Shepherd's music, mm -hmm. and Kenny was playing with Stevie Ray Vaughan's drummer. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, I know exactly who you mean, and I'm blanking on. Chris Layton. Chris Layton. Right, who's a good guy. Yeah, yeah great guy. Yeah, he is. A great guy. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so Kenny wanted to do it with us. Kenny, so it was Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and... Uh, Did Chris play drums? Chris played drums. Oh, cool. And uh, Kevin McCarthy on bass. I'm not sure. Kevin McCormick on bass. Okay, I'm not, I'm not familiar. He's uh, Crosby, Stills, and Dancers bass player. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so that band we rehearsed for a little, and then we were ready to go. It was another 
been that I was in that there weren't any hassles. Right, that's nice. There was no prima donnas. Right. There was no psychopaths. Right. <laughs> you didn't have a band full of junkies and no. acid heads. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, the clearing all that stuff up. It right. Took, it took me after the electric flag. Yeah. Took me two years to recover. Did it really? And I, I, I didn't play or I didn't yeah. anything, no sessions or yeah. anything. I was under care of a, of a doctor and a nice place to live, and he, he got me straight. And to this day, I've never touched it. It's been 53 years. God, congratulations. Thanks. Man. That's amazing. I knew it wasn't my, you know. Your cup of tea. My yeah. cup of tea yeah. or, or my destiny. You know, yeah. there was no destiny Good. at all. Well, I'm glad. Well, you've outlasted a whole lot of people. Well. I mean, it's really amazing to me just how few, you know, you and Nick and and uh, Charlie and, and Elvin, you know, we're Corky. Sort of, we're sort of like turtles. We build a shell around <laughs> us to protect us. We move, yeah. we move slow, you know, well, we're yeah. happy to be Fido, there. you guys, you know, you guys have outlasted a lot of people. I mean, that whole, the whole thing of Can't Heat and, you know, that every, he's the last living guy in that band. Well, you know. It's, it's really yeah. freaky. It's yeah, it is freaky. freaky yeah. But I just did a gig. You know, uh, last week. Yeah. Last week, right? At a club called the Right Off Room, and uh, right. my new band with Jimmy Rovino, Rob Stone. That's awesome. Rob yeah, Stone, Rob was very helpful in yeah, getting us together here Rob, too. Rob yeah. was really really a good guy, a great yeah. kid, and yeah. uh, call him Rob Stone was a big boss tone. <laughs> yeah, he, I he, met him when he was still in Chicago. Yeah, he, yeah, he's a Chicago guy, even right. though he's from the right. East Coast. I, I know about him from, he used to play with Dave Myers. Oh, yeah. Darn. The bass player. Yeah, yeah. sure. Belos, Belos guy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to just get, get into a little before we, I have to run here in a few, but uh, I wanted to get into uh, the thing of the Chicago Blues reunion, because was that your idea? That was your idea, right? My idea to get, you know, just to hit the world that we were learning the blues. We were lucky enough to be in Chicago at that special time. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. And we would listen to rock and roll. There, were, there was a group of us and, and sort of misguided missiles, you know, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> from different high schools. Sure. And, you know, yeah. kids, problem children. Yeah. We found this safe haven and a passport to freedom. Right. And it was the blues that we yeah. found at the end of the dial. We had all discovered this great show, Jam with Sam. Right. And his theme song was Blue Nights. Oh, and, Blue Lights. Blue, Blue Lights. I'm sorry. By Little Walter, yeah. The Blue Nights right. was an album I did right. with Percy Sledge. Yeah. Blue, Blue Lights is the Little Walter yeah. song. Yeah. In other words, right. Percy Sledge was a great artist right. that I worked with. Yeah. So Blue Lights, Little Walter, and it sent us into another world. Yeah. You know, a world that we couldn't explain. Yeah. It was all feeling and it was all things going off in our minds and mm -hmm. in our hearts and our, the closest thing to our hearts. Yeah. And, and soul. And you guys were all teenagers. We were all teenagers. Yeah. So we we formed a little group like we would go down to the south side and west side and strike up these amazing, beautiful relationships with the old masters. Right. Like Howling Wolf and Mighty Waters and just mm -hmm. to be able to talk to them was was great enough. Yeah. But we actually got to eventually they let us play with them. Right. 
and they were kind enough. We were novices at first, mm -hmm. but eventually we got it right. Yeah. But, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, that, must have, that must have meant so much when those guys gave you the nod. Well, it was actually yeah. just like that when I was yeah. playing with Muddy, right? Mm -hmm. And when I would walk into the club, Otis Spann would see me yeah, and right. say, this is my chance to, to take a break. Uh, right, and, and he gets you kid, up. <laughs> get this kid in here, let him do whatever he does. Right, right. So he called me up and I would play, and the piano was on, on the bottom of the stage. Right, below the stage. The stage was up yeah. here, yeah. and Muddy was up here playing, right. you know. Yeah. And he he immediately noticed the change in right. the band, right? And he'd be like he he'd look down and he'd scowl like really oh, sort of scowl, yeah. And that was not like money, you know. Right. So eventually, after maybe six months of doing this and coming back for more and never giving up, it clicked, and I got it right. Yeah. And when he smiled, yeah, during one of the songs, that must have been huge. And that was. That was it for me. That must have been huge, yeah, yeah. And then I, I, I had dis not discovered, but I finally got it right. I yeah. finally just fell right in. Yeah. And you kind of realized what, how it all fit together how finally. How it all fits together. Yeah. It's not just you playing. Right. It's a whole band. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Well, and, and, and in a lot of ways, I mean, the way I see it is you guys kind of took that music, took... Guys like Muddy and Wolf and, and brought him to California. Michael did that. Yeah, Michael, Michael he did with Bill, with, Graham. with Bill Graham. Yeah, brought B.B. King and Otis Rush and Returning, Muddy and Wolf. Theater. Yeah, and basically said, these are the guys you got to hire. And, and they started playing and the Fillmore. And they started playing the Fillmore and it re revitalized their careers because they were on the edge of going under. People were listening to more R&B then. Right, you know, it was more Motown and, and stacks, right. yeah. And which, yeah. Which, of course, I love. Sure. But it, but the blues market has sort of fallen off. It had fallen off for sure. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I I look at you guys as kind of being the saviors in a lot of ways of, of a lot of the older guard and and just turning you know, the late '60s world, the hippie world, onto this music. And I mean, you know, I mean that's how. You know, frankly, that's how I got into it. I got into it because I heard Paul Butterfield, I heard John Mayall, and and eventually I heard Lil Walter and Sonny Boy and and Muddy. And when I heard that, I went, "This is what it is." It got deeper and deeper. It got way deep, and and at that point, I went, "These are the guys that should be making millions of dollars." That's right. I mean, that's how I looked at it, and it was kind of like it was so so wonderful, so nice. Yeah. They took us in like to one of the family. Right. They, they we'd eat we'd eat together. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. gig together, eat together, talk together. Right. It was extended and, family. And with guys like Charlie and Elvin, they were practically living with living. a lot was, of the old times. It was an extended yeah. family. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I, I thank you for uh, Mark. For, I thank you for doing that. You know, you I really, thank you and your generation for really carrying it. Carrying it forward like you guys did. You're a legend yourself, man. Well, I don't look at myself like that. I just love music. But you are. You're one and of I, the great heart. Well, players. thank you. And I and I love I love uh, this music like I'm sure you do. I mean, I, one one thing I always think about. I'm sure you've been there too. Is that thing of when you would be walking down the street and you'd hear blues coming from one of those small clubs. 
and what that did to you. And you just drawn in like magic. Yeah, yeah. And I know, I know Bloomfield talked about, you know, that he would... He would just sit out in front. Yeah, he would sit out in front when he was 15 and he couldn't get in. And, couldn't and, get in. He, and he just, just kept coming over. From, from, the, from the door, from right. the window. Right, And he And, and t eventually they let you guys in. Yeah, they let us in. <laughs> Who are these little pests that keep coming? Right. We never stop. We never stop coming. But that's so great to me. That's just, you know, that's a beautiful thing, man. But, you know, yeah, I, I got a lot of admiration for all you guys, you know, uh, doing what you did and, and that somebody had to do it. I mean, you know. Well, we did a great gig together in San Diego with Mick. Did you? With you. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> you talk about the one at, at the... At the one that's this weekend. Yeah. 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 The Gator by the Bay. That's yeah, right. Gator you were the there. Bay. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody just posted that actually. Yeah. That was a good gig. That was a lot of fun. He was man. in good form. Yeah. Yeah. He was in great form. I, I gave him a copy of my book. This is one of my favorites. I gave him a copy of a book I wrote. It's called Big Road Blues 12 Bars on I 80. Wow. It's about my road, my road life, right? Oh. And I gave it to him and I go, So what do you think of the book? He goes, Oh, it's great. <laughs> great bathroom read. Chapters are short. <laughs> I love that. But thank you so much. My pleasure. It was really, really fun to uh, get a chance pleasure, to hang man. with you, Barry. Thank you for yeah, doing this. This will be great.